Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Good to see everybody here this morning. Turn in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 6. And verse 16, that's the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. So let's first of all pray. Father, we come to you now as we do every Sunday morning with a deep sense of our need. We need you, Lord, to reveal your word to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. We're going to be covering a few verses here this morning on one subject. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." Okay, now, here we are. We've been in this section here in Matthew, and the Lord, as he looked at the people, this was what happened to him, and we saw this at the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount in verse 1 of chapter 5, where it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. So, What's happening here in this passage that we're studying is that this is all around, you can almost picture like the Lord is going along and he turns around and he sees these multitudes that are flocking to him. And he's moved with compassion on the inside because he doesn't just see a large crowd, which of course he saw, but he sees individual sheep, people like sheep, people who were scattered like sheep. As it says in Isaiah 53, 6, it says that it's Israel really speaking where Israel says, all of us are like sheep, and we've gone astray, and all of us have turned everyone to his own way. So this is what the Lord saw. When he looked at the people, he saw lost sheep, and he saw lost sheep not only in their lost state, but he saw these lost sheep as the ones he was sent to. In uh, Matthew 15, 24, Matthew 15, 24, he says, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So there's a large crowd there, He's seen them, but as he looks at this crowd, he sees individuals. He sees every person that he himself made. He knows them all by name. He made them and he loves each one of them. And they're wandering and they're lost. And he also sees the why. He sees why they're wandering. He sees why they're lost because he sees what it says in Jeremiah 50, verse 6. Jeremiah 50, verse 6, when as Jehovah Jesus, he said, my people hath been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. 
They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. This is what he sees. He sees how the rabbis and the scribes had caused each one of those people that he loves, that he made, to go astray. He sees how they've been driven away from their resting place, and that just broke his heart. And so he determines then and there to make it stop. He determines then and there to expose to the people the wrong teaching that has caused them to go astray, that in the good teaching that he gives them to bring them to God. So in this Sermon on the Mount, with every fiber of his being, he's going through these different, you have heard, but I say unto you. And the people need this teaching. They need this preaching. And the people are hungry to be taught by him. And the people are hearing what they never heard before. And it's astounding to them. And they're beginning to respond. And their eyes are opening. Because with all of his heart, he's teaching the people. Like he's pulling each one of those people out of their own particular pit of deception. And he has covered many subjects on this Sermon on the Mount. And in the last, what we saw last, is he's taught them how to pray by giving them a model prayer. And he's told the people when he finishes up, bitterness can destroy you. Bitterness and anger and no forgiveness can ruin your lives. And that's where we ended up last week. And now he comes with a new subject, which he starts with the word moreover. Moreover, he says in verse 16, when ye fast... Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. So it's fasting now that he wants to teach the people. He wants to show the people the wrong way to fast and the right way to fast. Fasting is just very simply denying the body food. But what do you think? When you think about fast, what do you think? Do you think that, are you like, you know, Alfred E. Newman, you know, what, me fast? Is that what you're thinking, you know? What is fasting for? Is fasting to lose weight? Is fasting to improve your health? Is fasting supposed to be for today? When are you supposed to fast? And so scripture reveals several reasons for fasting, and that's what we want to look at this morning. And after looking at all these reasons to fast, it'll be clear why the Lord did not say in verse 16, if ye fast, but he said, when ye fast. Now, One of the reasons or one of the purposes for fasting is what God calls afflicting the soul, to afflict the soul. He specifically called on every person in Israel to, on one day of the year, to afflict their souls. That was the day of the atonement day of Yom Kippur. And every Yom Kippur from sundown to to the next sundown of Yom Kippur, as I was growing up, We couldn't eat anything. We couldn't drink anything. Not a drop of water. We spent the whole day in the synagogue. And the thing I remember most about the synagogue was going into the lobby and to see the drinking fountains covered with plastic and duct tape around them. You couldn't drink anything, you know. And that was that. And this is all from Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, 27. Leviticus 23, 27 describes, it says that on the 10th day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. That's the Yom Kippur. And it shall be a holy convocation unto you. And ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. He said, you shall do no work in that same day. It's a day of atonement to make an atonement to you, for you, before the Lord your God. And then it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And he says in verse 32, 
He says, it shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even, from even to even, from evening to evening. Now, he goes on, it's, he further says the same thing in Leviticus 16.29. Leviticus 16.29, when he says that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. He says in verse 30, that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from your sins before the Lord. So what God is emphasizing here in this passage for the day of atonement is a personal affliction of the soul. Now, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Torah, nowhere where Moses wrote does it say that people were supposed to fast on that day of atonement. And I don't know when the practice of fasting got started for the Day of Atonement, but it is an appropriate way to make you afflict your soul. It is an appropriate way to make you feel miserable and feel bad. That's what God wants. So fasting to afflict the soul, to bring the soul into the consciousness of just how serious sin is, of just how terrible sin does destroy the relationship with God, of just how dirty the soul is made from sin, Fasting is good. So that's one purpose for fasting. Another reason to fast is to grieve. It's to mourn because something awful has happened. You know, usually when something awful has happened, a person loses their appetite. Only not in my case. I want to eat. But anyway, it's interesting that the Jewish people on their own, it's not God didn't tell them this, but on their own, they chose to have four days in the year remembering awful events that happened in their history. And on those days, they chose that those were going to be days of fasting. And those four times in the year, they fasted in the fourth month of the year, and in the fifth month of the year, and the seventh month of the year, and in the tenth month of the year. And they did this in remembrance of four awful things that happened, all related to Jerusalem. And this is explained to us, these four fasts, in Zechariah 8, 19. Zechariah 8, 19, where it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth. That's referring to these four days of the four months when the Jewish people decided to fast. The fast of the fourth month was to remember when Jerusalem, this is not in chronological order, the fast of the fourth month was to remember when Jerusalem fell and it was invaded. That was what happened in Jeremiah 52.6. Jeremiah 52.6, which says, in the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city so that there was no bread for the people. The city was broken up. All the men of war fled, went forth out of the city by night by the wall way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden. And the Chaldeans were by the city roundabout, and they went the way of the plain. So that was when the Chaldeans invaded. And I don't want you to feel bad about the Chaldeans, so every time you go to El Cajon, you're going to look at them and say, you dirty rats, don't do that. Now, that was the fast of the fourth month. The fast of the fifth month was in remembrance when Jerusalem was burned. When the city was burned, the wall of the city, Jerusalem was torn down, the temple was burned. And that was in 2 Kings 25.7, 2 Kings 25.7, where it says, they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, that was the king, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah. You get that scene? Here this man is, the last thing he sees with his eyes is his sons being killed, and then they put his eyes out. And they bound him with fetters of brass, carried him to Babylon, and in the fifth month of the seventh day of the year, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon at Jerusalem, and he burnt the house of the Lord. 
and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. That was a terrible, awful event. They fasted on that day to remember that. And then on the seventh month was to remember when the Jewish governor that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set in place over Jerusalem, how he was betrayed and murdered. And that was the fast they did on that, the seventh month, when it says in Jeremiah 41.1, Jeremiah 41.1, it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Netaniah, the son of Elishama, of the seed royal and the princes of the king, even ten men with him, came unto Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim of Mizpah, and they did eat bread together in Mizpah. Then arose Ishmael, the son of Netaniah, and the ten men that were with him, and smote Gedaliah and with the sword and slew him, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. So, and the last fast, which was really the first event, but anyway, the last fast was in the 10th month, and that was to remember the day when Jerusalem was attacked, which later was invaded and conquered. And Jeremiah 52, 4, Jeremiah 52, 4, it says, and came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the 10th month, in the 10th day of the month that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, and he and all his army against Jerusalem and pitched against it and built forts against it round about. So these are the four times of the year when Israel fasted to remember these very sad events, very awful events, the first attack on Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem, the burning of Jerusalem, and the temple, the murder of the governor. And those were all very sad times in history. And so in order to express this sorrow, this mourning for these times, the whole country fasted. Everybody fasted. No one fasts when they're happy. That's not the time to fast. The time to fast is when you're sad and when you're grieving and when you're mourning. And this is what the Lord explained in Matthew 9.14. Matthew 9.14, when he was challenged about why his disciples didn't fast. And he said in Matthew 9.14, then came to him the disciples of John saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bridegroom mourn? as long as the bridegroom was with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. So what he was saying here was that, look, the bridegroom, it's the Lord Jesus, is with the disciples, so they're not sad, they're happy. You don't fast because they're happy. But he said, he's leaving, and when he leaves, it's gonna be sad, very sad. He says, that's the time that they're gonna fast. That's the time you and I live in when he has left the earth, and we'd rather be where he is, in heaven. So fasting is a way to express the sadness for not being with him in heaven. So fasting is an expression of sadness, and fasting is not only an expression of sadness, but fasting is also a method. It's a method of self-denial, and self-denial is important. Why? Because we suffer from the power of sin over our lives. And sometimes we come to a point where we can't break it. And then the power of sin has to be broken, so it has to be understood, where does this coming from? Where does the power of sin come from? And James 1.14, James 1.14, it tells us, it tells us where the power of sin comes from when it says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So that's the source. That's the source of sin in our lives. Sin in our lives comes from, James 1.14, 
Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. That's our problem. Enticed, and no one lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. His own lust is the source of sin. And sometimes that can be so strong that that self, that his own lust, it has to be crippled. And the way to cripple that self is by fasting. Because fasting is self-denial. And sometimes when we feel it's so strong and we can't overcome this lust, it's taking control. That's the time to resort to fasting to break the lust in our lives. Break the power of lust in our lives. Fasting helps to do what the Bible calls put on the Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 13.4. Romans 13.4, it says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Now, this was something that Paul, in his personal life, was acutely aware of. He was always aware, and he was afraid of one thing in his life. And what he was afraid of was this danger of falling. Paul did not want to fall to the power of lust in his own life. Paul did not want to be brought down by the power of his own lust. And it scared him because he knew that if he yielded to the power of his own lust, he wouldn't be genuine. He wouldn't be genuine. And so he wouldn't be reflecting the message that he was preaching. So Paul was really afraid of becoming a counterfeit. A counterfeit preacher is a hypocrite who does the very things that he preaches against others not to do. So that meant that Paul was always battling the lust of his flesh. You know, the wild thoughts, the sinful imaginations. And this put Paul in a state of constant guard. He was constantly on guard against himself because, in fact, Paul saw himself in this constant fight. He saw himself in a constant fight with the lusts of his flesh. And he felt like he was always fighting the flesh and trying to bring it down to the mat, trying to make it subject. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I keep under my body, literally keep under means punch, I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And the method that he used to keep his flesh under control is what he called in 2 Corinthians 11.27, 2 Corinthians 11.27, fastings often. Fastings often. So fasting is useful to keep the lust of the flesh under control, to break the power of the lust of the flesh. Now, the Bible reveals another purpose or another reason to fast. And that's when a person really comes to a state where they're just not satisfied with their spiritual life. When a person just feels like, you know what? I'm just too far. I'm too far from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be closer to him. You know, when a person feels like there's really just just too much religion There's just not, there's too much religion and too little relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or when a person feels that church has gotten in the way of Christ. And when a person that feels like, I've got churchianity, but I don't have Christianity. And when a person just feels this deep, deep yearning for more of Jesus, more of Jesus, I want more of Jesus. And he's frustrated and he wants a revival in his soul. And somehow he just feels like so many things have just lured him away, enticed him away, charmed him away, and he's drifted away from the Lord. And he knows 
He doesn't have the first love that he had for the Lord when he was first saved. You know, that's gone. And when a person knows that I read the Bible because I have to read the Bible, I don't love to read the Bible. I don't get up each morning and say, oh, I, I love to read the Bible. And when he prays, because he has to pray, but if you really, in his heart of hearts, he say, I don't love to pray. It's kind of like prayers become a recitation, old phrases, and he can no longer really say from his heart the words of hymn 334. Hymn 334, which says, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. He can't say that anymore. And when he sings hymn number 563, 563, when he sings the words, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live, I surrender all. When he sings those words, he knows he's lying. He knows he's lying because he's not surrendered all to Jesus. So when a person is in this state and he knows his life as a Christian is just play acting, when he talks a good talk and he knows in his heart that he's as cold as Antarctica toward the Lord Jesus Christ inside. And when all those feelings are there and the person feels trapped and he doesn't know how to get out, he doesn't know how to return to the Lord as his first love, he doesn't know how to stop this drifting, he doesn't know where the anchor is to put down to stop the drift and the first step to get him back. And when he's in that state, the Lord has advice for him. And the Lord says to him, I'll tell you what you need to do in Joel 2.12, Joel 2.12. Joel 2.12, the Lord said, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great kindness, repenteth him of the evil. So to this person who feels so far from God, he wants to return to the Lord. Joel 2.12, Joel 2.12 says, Turn ye unto me with all your heart and with fasting. That person, the Lord says, it's time to turn to me with your heart and fasting. And it's useful. Fasting is useful to return to God to get the fire reignited again, to get the first love on fire again. It's useful to return to the bloom of the first love that Jesus, that that he had when he first turned to God. God says, time to turn to me, time to fast. So fasting helps the process. Fasting helps the process. It's not a magic formula. The person has to turn with all his heart, but fasting helps him to turn with all his heart. And the reason why fasting helps is because fasting gets the attention of the soul. When the body is denied, then the soul is listening. Fasting helps the soul to stop sleeping and take spiritual issues seriously. Fasting helps the soul to stop sleeping and take sin seriously to take prayer seriously. It helps the soul to wake up. So that's another reason to afflict the soul. Now we see in scripture another reason to fast, and that's when there is a grave danger ahead. And we see this in the example when all the Jews were scheduled to be exterminated on one day. This was the final solution that was devised by Haman. And Queen Esther decided to put herself into grave personal danger by approaching the king, which meant that that would be instant death unless the king held out his scepter. And so she decided to do this in order to save the Jews from being destroyed. And so, but before she did this, what she said in Esther 4.16, Esther 4.16, is she said to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day, 
I also on my mains will fast likewise. So, so I'll go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So this is another reason we see in the Bible to fast. When there's a grave personal danger, like hearing from the doctor, you've got cancer. That's a grave personal danger. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 